Art Technique Podcast number 9 for May 20th, 2012. Started us again. You did? No. Welcome to this rainy day edition. Oh, okay. Well, it may not be raining where they are. Well, we listening. are in a different Wind space time are. zone than they are. <laughs> so, oh, <Okay>. lightning. <laughs> We're all Let's surround ourselves by electronics during a lightning storm. <laughs> where we are in our particular time and space, it was raining. Quite a bit, and uh, so now we're all... Nice subject-verb agreement there. What? Nothing. Go on. We're going to be one of those things on A Thousand Ways to Die. <laughs> Three guys put on headphones, surrounded themselves <laughs> with recording equipment and computers during a lightning storm. The lightning entered the house through... Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I like to think that we'll all just get radio-based superpowers... That was the other option I had. I thought maybe our consciousness these would all fuse together into some sort of a super nice thing. Pluralizing. Yeah. <laughs> Are we all at work? So one of us can hear really well, and one of us talks really loud, and one of us can like broadcast into information systems. And one of us will be devilishly handsome. Superpower I've always wanted. <laughs> that would be a really <laughs> awesome superpower. <laughs> 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 be able to smolder at will that's the one i want <laughs> most most things in life i consider uh, how it could give me a superpower and what the superpower i would get from it would be mm-hmm. you know it gets me through a lot of unfortunate things in life you know if you get bumped into by like a coffee trolley and it breaks your toe or something you can be like well it's gonna give me super coffee powers and i can spray hot coffee into people's <laughs> face with my hands and then and demand a, a fresh jerk. one and make me a jer- why would that make me a jerk they'd be villains i'm not just gonna like walk up to random people and be All like right. now you can sue mcdonald's <laughs> that might make you a hero Ooh. go team okay uh for those, of you, for those of you who don't know us, uh, he's taken away my robot superpowers. I have. <laughs> um, I'm Jeff. I'm Aaron. And I'm Adam. And welcome to Art Technique Podcast. Uh, what is this one? Number nine. Number nine. One yeah. away from Pentacular. When all of our sound pro- problems are fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Pentacular. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should do something cool for the 10th one. Have a party? Yeah. Maybe a laser show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dip into our podcast budget. I wonder if we could have a podcast event. Maybe. Uh, something to think of for later. Anyway. All right, you have one week. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? <laughs> and go. Yeah. <laughs> the, the podcast tentacular sounds like there are octopuses involved. <laughs> Like some Japanese websites you would like to avoid, uh-huh. or not avoid, depending. Mm. 
<laughs> Don't whistle. It makes the robots happen. Oh, I wasn't going to whistle. I was going to slurp. <laughs> How's that feel for those wearing headphones and listening? Creepy. He just got slurped by Adam. No hey, extra charge, but That's feel right. free to donate. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you're all you're all here. Hello. Uh, we are uh full of Mexican food mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> happiness and uh <laughs> and articles. And articles. And Mostly about articles. The intersection of art A and technology. And B. <laughs> For you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, does anyone have an article they'd like to start with or an idea or what's going on in, Nothing in people's lives? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing news going on. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you kick us off this week? Sure. Uh, sure. I, oh, wait, they're making signs. Sorry. They're trying to communicate things on the sly. Yeah, I, I was, was about ready to listen start. to Oh, it. yeah, okay, I'll start. Sure. Oh, sure. okay. Right. Um, I, uh... <laughs> Quit making these giant signs. This I, one's a bird. <laughs> this one's a bunny. This is a turtle. Again, very effective for podcasting. You're welcome. <laughs> Old time radio. Next week, I, catch our shadow puppet performance. <laughs> that was supposed to be the joke about the laser show for the spectacular. Oh, all right. Mm. I see. I see. Go I on. figured the lasers would create distortions in our sound recording equipment, so they'd, <laughs> How they'd be able to experience it in a way. Uh, how would they be able to tell it apart from the distortions of the other <laughs> nine episodes? Oh, Let's oh I made myself with, um, sad. Video yeah. games. Video games? There are a couple of cool, really artsy games um, that have something in common. A few things in common. One's called Bastion, and one is called Braid. And I know they're both available on uh, Xbox Live Arcade, I believe. But I think they're also available like on Steam or on your PC or your some are available on Mac. I don't remember. Um, but I, I thought of them when I was reading about the evolution of how death has been handled in video games over <laughs> the past, what, 40 years? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and how death from a storytelling perspective in a video game is a really jarring experience. And in fact, um, it sometimes breaks the reality of, of what you're playing with this character. So think about, you know, you're playing like a character. You're going through the situation, the struggles of the character or whatever. And say, let's say it's a very realistic game. And then you die. You get a game over and your character dies and then comes back and picks up where they left off. You know, uh, much in the way I feel like that we ignore, um, you know, people in black changing uh, sets on stage aren't there. Mm -hmm. We ignore the death, like, oh, it, it didn't happen, it doesn't count. Um, even a lot of times in the death shows a little cutscene of, you know, how your character dies, then it fades to black and the character gets back up. Or, okay, or I got you now. Sure. Yeah. Right, so I feel like it, it's, and the article is saying that it sort of pulls you out of the story. And... Um, and so a couple of games are beginning to, to deal with it. Prince of Persia, um, the new the newer one, mm -hmm. uh, started dealing with it by reversing. You know, you, your character would get to a point where he would, and I've not really played it, but my understanding is he would die. But before he died, instead of actually dying, it would uh, reset well, you backwards through the puzzle. Well, if you had your dagger had sands of time in it, you could 
reverse a poor jump by going back in time 30 seconds. But the way they really handled the fact that you would run out of sand or you would fall in face first into a pit full of spikes or a mon sand monster would rip your face off is the premise of the whole game beginning to end he's narrating past tense he's telling the story of what happened to him mm. and every time your character dies and is out of sand he'll you'll hear a little voice clip going no wait that's not what happened <laughs> uh let me try again and they were like you know a, a variety of these it wasn't the exact same sound clip every time but it was like he got derailed in the storytelling had made a mistake That's in the cool. storytelling and so he was like no wait I didn't die then. <laughs> and then you would be reset at the last checkpoint and your sand right. would be reset to however much you had starting that particular chamber or whatever. And it, that's funny because in this game, Bastion, um, uh, you don't really know what the story is, but it's sort of a uh, iso isometric. Isometric is isometric. that sort of off. It's neither front top down or front on. It's that three-quarter view. So you're looking. It's like everything. It's like you're looking slightly above the world and off to one side. It's not like a straight-on platformer like a Mario, where you're you're going yeah. in. A Can you give me an example? Because I'm having sure. a hard time visualizing. Uh, any of the Spyro that. games, they do. They used to do that, right? Or uh, Mario 64. Did you play okay. that? Yeah. that one? Yeah. Where you've sort of got the camera hovering up and over the shoulder, yeah. rather than directly behind. Okay. Directly the above. camera can't move. Okay, instead of like Mario 64, the camera can move around. Mm -hmm. But here you've got a camera in a fixed position, and the graphics are um, that older style sort of... The Zelda series was actually considered isometric at its mm -hmm. time because right. the, the map was basically a straight-down view, but then mm -hmm. the characters were profile view I gotcha, yeah. and sort of planted on top of each other. And so okay. the sum vision was this isometric perspective of mm -hmm. off at an angle. Right. Um, it was you probably dealt with it in scene design class as well. When yeah. You, that there's that perspective. There's ground plan, and there's elevation, and then there's yeah. that other perspective. That one was kind of called isometric. Uh, yeah, I remember having to make those little drawings with the grids. Yes. And, oh. Yeah. So back, Fun, back to the, yeah. the game. Um, uh, in this game called Bastion, uh, you as you start the game, uh, you're moving your little character around the map. And the way you get what the story of the game is, is that you hear this uh, narrator sort of telling you what happens in the game. He's like, the kid woke up, and the kid walked to the whatever. And everything that you sort of do, like when a monster appears, like the narrator's like, and suddenly, so, and, you know, some trouble appeared. And when you, like, dispatch the monster, he's like, but the kid took care of that. You know, and whenever you, you die... The uh, the narrator goes, and then the kid fell to his death. Nah, I'm just kidding. And the character gets <laughs> put back up on the map and continues yeah. his journey, right? That yeah. one's, it's got some sort of slightly AI narration system, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it, like, it's it's smart. Like, there's a whole, I think, bank of, of things that it could say depending on what you do. Mm -hmm. um, so you follow the story, and the story follows you. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's an interesting element. I think an interesting way to deal with death, and it kind of like the Prince of Persia thing. But Braid takes it one step further. Um, Braid is this game that is it's beautiful. They're, these are both beautiful games, but um, it's got this. Uh, it looks like a Victorian Mario Brothers. Okay. <laughs> okay, and it's 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 side scrolling. And as you advance in time, and as you uh, 
as you as you go forward and you play the game, uh, like you go and you jump on a monster, right? And let's say that uh, you jump on a monster and then another monster hits you and you would die. Instead of dying, I think everything kind of stops and turns gray, and you're told to hit a button. And when you hit the button, it rewinds your character's actions until you let go of the button so that you can repeat or fix your mistake uh, as often as you need Only to. Only we had it in real life. <laughs> right. And then, and so that's a cool way because you never really, per se, die in that game. Yeah. But not only that, so you learn that you can reverse time in that way, and then they get more and more complicated saying, okay, so that's, that's how you know not to die. You know you can reverse time. But now we're going to throw puzzles at you that you can only answer these puzzles by choosing when to start and forward time. I remember, I remember reading this one now on uh, Ain't It Cool. So it one of the people cool. posted, yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. But it, it sounds like each of the um, different games that you were describing, Prince of Persia and all the others, like it either had to have a really strong uh, uh, sort of narrative, mm -hmm. like this sort of storyteller narrative overlaid to the video gameplay, or it has to be something quirky and so different. So right. I, I guess the, it would only really work for certain kinds of games. It's not something mm -hmm. that could be used to justify or um, make sense of the deaths in every kind of game, right? Well, the death structure in the video games has changed dramatically over the last years um, because originally... You know, you had lives. You had three lives to get through it because they were for the quarter-sucking uh, arcade right. machines. <laughs> and if there was a way to continue without paying extra quarters, then it wasn't benefiting the arcade at all. Right. So all of the original games had a life structure. You know, you have three ships to blast all the aliens. You have three Marios to get through all of the levels. Um, and then as we switch to home systems that became less useful and, in fact, inhibitive to gameplay in some ways mm -hmm. uh, because the challenges became about punitive results. You know, you did it wrong, haha, you're dead, you have to start over, which is frustrating and dissatisfying, particularly on a home system where you're sitting there and you can get more involved in the stories because there can be stories. You know, in an arcade game, when you're playing 15, 15 minutes at a pop because you're playing by the quarter, they couldn't really do deep game stories because they weren't guaranteed to get hours of your attention. They were getting seconds of your attention or minutes. So and it was that's better for them because they get more quarters. And it's better for them, but it's worse for you as a player. Right. The longer you're with the game, the more you want to have a story out of it. So the death structure had to change, but then gaming had to go through this process of how do we add a challenge if the player isn't going to die? And, you know, LucasArts... Their point-and-click adventure games used to be really unique amongst that genre because you couldn't die. You couldn't really paint yourself into the corner. King's Quest would... You, you could fall off a cliff. You could go into the room with the wrong equipment, and you would have to replay hours' worth of the game because you had made the wrong choice. LucasArts, from early in their structure, even in the point-and-clicks, had arranged ways to get... You know, they would keep you from screwing yourself completely over mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't be frustrating their player, their audience, their their participant in this storytelling. In fact, they had one time where they had a joke about you seem to die in front of everybody else and, uh, as part of a um, puzzle. And 
they look at each other and go, he died? But isn't this a LucasArts game? And, yeah. of course, they were very self-referential at certain points. But anyway, so this whole death structure changed, and how do you add challenges if it's not death? So now we're still trying to address that problem. We've got combat games where you have regenerative health. You know, there used to be the health packs all over the place, or <laughs> very infrequently in some of the more frustrating games. But now it's regenerative health, and if you go hide in the corner for a while, your health bar refills. Mm -hmm. But it's still a difficult challenge for the game developers to address. I mean, you almost see no games with a, tr a life system. Like, every three lives you have to continue, which doesn't make any sense without quarters. Except Mario, which gives you, like, a million, and it, they're completely inconsequential. But because it's part of the But sort it's of Mario, life, so it's fun. You and have you to have lives, yeah. I think it's funny how often, like, uh, extra lives or lives or, you know, I died is such a common... It's just a trope. It's just a thing that that that, that is. Um, yeah. You were making an interesting point, and I just... Lost it. Uh, yeah, something about Lucas making Arts a challenge game. without it being death. Mm. No, it'll come to me. Really. Yeah. So that that is a continuing obstacle, and as you add an overall story, you get these options to be saying that you're looking at the story from the back, uh, the 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 end backwards or whatever. But again, you're right. There are only certain structures that'll work in in modern warfare where the idea is that you're right there in the middle of a battle, then death is part of the challenge, but then how do you keep the player going in such a way that it's like you feel like you've been, you, you've been punished? How do you address that again? How do you restart the momentum? That's interesting, but I, I guess as someone who doesn't play a lot of video games... Um, oh, me neither. I hardly... Ever, anyway, sorry. <laughs> that I, I, this is something I've never thought about, uh, setting up a system where you want to make it challenging so the the stakes become somewhat real or real within mm -hmm. the universe of the game but not making it so frustratingly difficult that the user wants to just give stop. up yeah. stop yeah mm -hmm. and, and so it's interpretive that, dance it's that, yeah it's that difference between challenge and and punishment you know yeah um i was thinking i remember now i was thinking uh in some of the the more in-depth kind of rpgs i think final fantasy or maybe was famous for this. I can't remember. Um, where Chrono Trigger, I, I know, uh, there, was some, there was a moment or two in, in some of the other games. Anyway, where you work characters' deaths into part of the story, oh, yeah. and part of the ultimate ending. Like there's a one Because game you've got a team, you can yeah. have as the story arc losing certain there members was, of the team. Yeah, there was like one game where you... Uh, if you you still get sort of the bad ending, even if you beat the game and collect all the whatevers, if you don't have your whole party with you, and that's you know that's interesting. But what's more interesting to me are, are branching story elements where, you know, different challenges have to be answered this way if you if this character is not present because of of death, mm -hmm. and uh, how that changes sort of the group. I remember Chrono Trigger did a did a great job. There's a moment where, and I won't give much of it away, but there's a moment where you could choose to kill a character or not. Um, and if, and then I think there's, a, there's actually at least two of those moments. A character on your team or somebody that's in, in your way? I have, I have to be quiet about which. All right. I mean, it's an old game. You should have played it by now, but I think they've re-released it. And if you've not played Chrono Trigger. It's worth it. Even gosh, in the, uh... it's worth it. Oh, my gosh. You can even get a, 
cheap copy on uh, eBay for like a PS1 if you want. But it was originally released on Super Nintendo, and then uh, they re-released it on PlayStation. They added some cutscenes. Sure. And then they re-released it again for Nintendo DS, and it is one of my favorite games for exactly this reason. Yeah. There are, uh, I think, around ten or so endings to this game, depending on who's alive, um, what time period you you beat the game in, because it's a time travel game as well. And, uh, of course, I like it. <laughs> um, and uh, and because the, the, the relationships they play are so very um, true and strong and... Um, you really believe each character's presence or lack of presence affects the other characters. Um, and, and there are a couple times when the game really, really forks. And it, it's, I think it's lovely. Yeah. Uh, Legends of Dragoon, uh, you, one of your very first starter characters that joined the team uh, is unavoidably killed at a certain point. And it's, you know, you've, you've grown connected to the character. And, you know, for me, it was sort of a sad plot point. And it was also sort of a crucial role in the team that you pick up a new character that fills the need in the team, even though it doesn't replace the original character. And it's in a sort of interesting dynamic uh, of including death in the game intentionally and unavoidably. So who's uh, who's got a, another thing? We've talked about video games for a little bit. Yeah, but who's got something else? I have something. Um, I'm gonna talk about how I got to this sure. article. I'm gonna talk about the journey that uh, led me to this uh, idea. So um, you know that uh, song by uh, uh, Journey. No. <laughs> <laughs> And we can't sing any journey, right? We, I can't. Have you heard me try? <laughs> I meant for legal reasons. But right. No, that he can't sing that's for I, legal right. reasons. It's a public health hazard. Yeah, that's right. I made a brown tone. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> Yuck. Thank I you hope for no tuning one's listening in, to this on their lunch break. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. uh, a couple, it was a week. A week or two ago, uh, I was listening to that song uh, by Gautier that uh, somebody that I used to know. And I have a tendency that when a, a song, sometimes when a song pops up on my radar, I tend to obsess about it. And I'll listen to it like over and over and over again, like just for one day, like just immerse myself in the same whatever. Really yeah, do. just yeah. something that kind of catches me. And so that was the song. And uh, if you've ever seen the video that goes along with it, it's absolutely fantastic. It's almost like this stop motion thing where uh, the singer is there and sort of uh, piece by piece, brushstroke by brushstroke, they paint uh, these geometric shapes on him. You oh, know, I have seen this video. Yeah. It's awesome. It's absolutely fantastic. And so, you know, the song is about a breakup and, you know, how it kind of fragments an identity. And, you know, they illustrate that through the painting. And uh, so my brain started to think about other ways to kind of communicate that idea. And uh, specifically, there's a, a project that Helen Varner and I uh, have been uh, contemplating, working on. Uh, a friend of ours uh, introduced us to the series of paintings that she has done uh, over the course of, I think it was like a 12 or 15 year period. Um, and each 
painting is a portrait. I think there's nine of them. Uh, each painting is a, a portraiture of a man and a woman sitting there. And it, it reflects a relationship that she was going through at the time. And um, each one, while it has basically the same man and woman, s subtleties begin to crop up in each of the paintings. And so um, she, uh, the, the painter, uh, brought it to us to see if there was some way to develop it into a performance piece. So for the last couple of months, anytime I hear a song I'm, uh, that I feel kind of uh, uh, suits the piece, uh, I start playing with it in my brain. So that's mm -hmm. how I got there. So um, now I'm listening to this uh, song, and um, I start to think, okay, how can you still uh, demonstrate uh, that, that relationship but not you know, recreate what uh, they did in the video? And so uh, first off, it was a dance, of course, because um, it's a great way to very quickly throw out you know a relationship uh you know a dance between Every two people I dance i throw out a relationship <laughs> <laughs> and so uh you know i saw the dance and started choreographing in my head and then i started trying to figure out how to heighten it a bit and so it was fabric and uh you know they the two the dancers tug a war between the fabric and wrapping Wrap their together. bodies in it yeah and just all those different ways and i was like there's got to be something else and then i remembered uh those little uh pocket uh, projectors that they're selling right now. Like they fit in the palm of your hand. You can hook them up to your Mac. They're awesome. Yeah. And I was actually thinking about one because I need one for my classroom and they're fairly cheap. Um, and so I, that's why I was aware of them. And so I was thinking about if you use projections uh, that the dancers could have these things in their hand, the projectors, and you could project the images onto uh, maybe the bodies of some of the dancers at certain moments. Um, you know, onto the fabric and, you know, incorporate all three of these elements together. And, uh, and then it just happened that I came across uh, this video. And uh, it's, uh, which led me to somebody else, this man named Klaus Obermeier that I'm going to talk about in just a second. But I want to at least mention uh, the group that I came across first. It was the uh, Danish Dance Theater, and they did something exactly like this about three years ago, where they incorporated projections and dance, and they had projections on the set, and they were um, somewhat interactive with the dancers. Um, uh, the projections could track the dancers' movements, um, uh, and um, but then also the sets were also projections and and they just did an interesting job of blending all these things together um and i also wanted to shout out to the uh what they used to make it something called open frameworks uh which is um an open source uh, uh, uh thing <laughs> i lost my word software. <laughs> thank you software um uh it made in a c plus plus library and uh, it incorporates uh couple of different programs, OpenL, OpenGL for the graphics, right. uh, RT Audio for audio input and output, FreeType for fonts, uh, FreeImage for image input and output, and QuickTime for video playing. And this is what they use to create the whole, all the projections that you saw in the dance piece. Um, there's some clips uh, you can see of that piece online. Uh, that then led me to this man named Klaus Obermeier. Um, Klaus Obermeier is a, a choreographer, director, and uh, I guess software designer as well, um, that all he does is create these movement pieces that incorporate uh, projections and, and media. Into is he that part one. of the Danish 
He is not. Um, he is uh, okay. from uh, Vienna, and um, uh, but no, that was just I, I think following some links, clicking, okay. clicking, okay. clicking. I Down eventually. Did you ever yeah. end up uh, at a place where where they sell cookies and in blue tins? Danish cookies. Danish. cookies. Yeah, no. yeah. See what I did there. <laughs> and he yeah. um, he uh, apparently got into it. Dutch. The Dutch. The brought Dutch. Back. He, he came across, well, he, uh, his degree actually is in graphic design. And uh, 20 years ago, he took an interest in trying to put these things together, the dance and the media. And, um, you know, back then it was pretty much, you know, you, you had this projection playing in the background right. while dancing went on. Yeah. And, uh, but the technology has gotten more and more sophisticated. Uh, he primarily develops a lot of his works through sort of uh, lab or like artistic uh, sort of think groups where um, they're intentionally trying to develop uh, technology and live performance mm -hmm. together. And a lot of the pieces he creates come out of these sort of limited sort of grant uh, uh, money uh, things. <laughs> what if we put projectors on Roombas and did the projector Roomba dance? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still stuck on dancing Roombas. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah, Aaron looks like he's going to say something far more intelligent than yeah. what I'm blathering He said Roombas, and well, you no, kind of glimmered. Just... <laughs> <laughs> well, jumping back to the robot art episode, oh, yeah. totally in the middle of your story, that's I've fine. just discovered that um, my, my sister, who does a lot of science and mathematic-based uh, paintings, has recently gotten a robot triathlon commission. Mm-hmm. So she's actually working on a piece right now. I that's... hope they don't dump Gatorade on the winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one that's built to swim must be able to survive it. <laughs> and that's how the robot apocalypse starts. Not Half with a bang, podcast, with, Gatorade. Like, with Gatorade. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so he uh, develops a lot of interesting pieces. Uh, Klaus Obermeier, um, uh, the two pieces that I came across uh, that I really enjoyed the most, and you can see clips on uh, YouTube. And I, I will post them on the show yeah. notes so they're easier to find. Yes, there was one fantastic sort of highlights reel of uh, the second piece I'm going to uh, talk about. Uh, but the first piece uh, was based on Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, uh, where it was a live dancer in front of an audience, and she was kind of in a um, sort of a, a black black-walled contained environment off to the side and then the orchestra was live and then hanging above the orchestra was a big projection screen uh -huh. and the audience members were all wearing 3d glasses so they were capturing the live uh, dance uh, of the performer but then when it was run through the projection they would exaggerate and like maybe elongate her fingers uh -huh. or they would freeze her in an uh a moment of the dance and the image and maybe duplicate that pose behind her while she continued on. And so, uh, you know, uh, they, they were just kind of playing with the visuals. Sure. Really. And, um, um, and apparently each night for each performance, they kind of mix it live. Mm -hmm. So if you went to different performances, you might not see the exact same tricks played out at the exact same beats and right. moments in the dance. Yeah. Um, and again, so it, that qualifies for our performance category yes. rather than our installment art. Right. And that, that's the biggest thing that uh, Klaus Overmeyer is so uh, intent on is rather than creating a, a sort of environment where, you know, this actor has to stand here. So this projection hits them. And at mm -hmm. exactly this moment, they have right. to lift their arm up left. He, he said that creates, you know, a very artificial sort of reproduction. It, 
really then is just a movie or yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I can't. There's think. no chance for uh, danger for them to break out of it for it to be what you're talking about a couple or, episodes ago. Or if there is that live inspiration change moment, then it sort of f's the whole thing up for the night. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. so he he always wants that sense of danger and improvisation in each performance. Right. Um, yeah. And then the next yeah. piece I want to talk about uh, that he created is called Apparition. And this one apparently is like absolutely groundbreaking. Um, and uh, again, projections follow the actors around on stage. Um, the entire uh, set built around these two dancers, a male and female dancer, um, is also projections. Uh, what makes this one unique is it responds, the environment responds to the movement of the performers. Uh -huh. And so, uh, it, you know, they, Again, they don't have to memorize, put my hand, put my hand here, put my right. hand there. They move their hand up at a certain point, and uh, the wall of light that they're reaching out for will shimmer or bend or mm -hmm. twist uh, wherever right. their arm has hit on you know, the it's field. It's like those this things really, at the mall. really ups my hopes for Predator the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> my most successful impression. That's well done. <laughs> Yeah, those things at the mall. It's like, you know, there's like a eight by ten square and there's the projector overhead and it's like a soccer field and the kids run across it and kick the little virtual soccer ball and the oh, right. motion capture moves the ball with them. I have You've no never idea. seen I've those. never seen that, but I feel like you could uh, open up um a possibility to have these projections overlap with fractals. Uh huh. So like you've got the dancer. I, I was fascinated when you're talking about the dancer being able to be frozen in time while the real dancer keeps going. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like, you know, that is a shape that, you know, I wonder if you couldn't, I mean, this would be really fractal trippy, the dancer, but fractal the dancer into a pattern that pulls out and then becomes uh, the background, almost in the way pixels would resolve to an image. And it catches mm. up where with the, where the dancer yeah, is yeah, now yeah. And, and, as it, it live renders this yeah. uh, photo montage. That'd be neat. Yeah. Anyway, I, but you were, yeah. Just uh, and again, the 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 highlight reel from uh, Apparition, which we're gonna uh, post a link to, yeah. is absolutely phenomenal. Like there there are just moments where um, uh, uh, the the two performers at one point are frozen on stage, and they've got uh, projections on them that are uh, horizontal horizontal line, and then the set around them or the projections around them are all strong vertical lines. And even though the performers are completely still, it's all these strong vertical lines. They, the, the vertical lines start moving. And as they begin to move and shift around the performers, it gives the, the sense that the performers are moving within uh, your, your, your depth right. of field. Optical illusion style. Yeah, it's, it's Very just cool. absolutely it's amazing. It's with new tech. It's a Piper's Ghost kind of thing. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> So again, just something I'm excited about doing in maybe a limited sense if we can get the you know handheld projection, projection idea to work for yeah. what we're doing. And if nothing else, go out and look at what Klaus Obermeier is doing. It's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. We tried to do a 3D set one time, as in uh, 3D glasses, not like actually constructed set. We were doing Rocky, <laughs> Rocky Horror, Horror Show. I remember you talking about um, that. And so we were trying to sort of incorporate as many of the callbacks to that era of horror film as possible. 
And so we talked and played with and explored the idea of what if all the set pieces were totally flat, but painted in red-blue 3D. And so as the audience came in, they were given red-blue 3D glasses and, like, you know, with their popcorn and everything. And so the actors would be uh, working in a flat environment that was artificially 3D only in the glasses. Mm-hmm. Did it work? We got some progress in sort of our samples and trials and things, but we were out of time and resources to actually do the entire show that way, yeah, which yeah. is sort of a horrible ending to this story, I oh. know. But well, I wonder if there's a challenge with, I don't know how deep your house was, but you know the distance apart between those lines of the blue and the red are different as you adjust further and, and back, right? It needs to be a certain but ratio, a, doesn't it? I would assume so, but a movie theater has you know 70 rows. So yeah, that's true. That's true. 70 is probably more than that. How many? Twenty but rows. It, but but does it matter too? I mean, because if what Jeff's talking about, because you know, a film, it's a flattened image, and and so the whole the whole the whole depth of field sure. is compressed as opposed is to is an upstage flat oh, sure. got to be a different a ratio different than ratio. a downstage yeah. flat. We never got that far, yeah. but like it was funny, you know, before we had red and blue glasses and stuff, we had. Um, our gel swatch books <laughs> and we found a red gel that works and a blue gel that works and pulled them out to either side and we're sort of holding them up like opera glasses in front of us working with the the, yeah. the research and stuff that's cool fantastic idea though yeah. i'd love to i'd still love to pull it off someday yeah. I, don't, I don't know what other show it might be really great and applicable for but when i've got a great team of talented painters and designers i really want to try it someday you know what if you had it could be as simple as drops or it could be as differently simple (laughs) as uh um basically a giant psych size you know i guess rear projection screen that each drop you go into each scene you go into is a different line drawing in red and blue depending on where they are yeah, and you like just switch the, out the projection image. Yeah, the little comic books that released for a while. Yeah, I so remember you don't I had have like to a deal f- with the depth of upstage, yeah. downstage, and the flats. You've got one. This is know. where the three D is, but it still right. affects the rest of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I don't know what the right answer is, but it, it it's it's still an appealing little yep. brain tickle that I want to go back to someday. Yeah. <sighs> so. Uh, I want to ask you guys on a new subject. Um, what instruments come to mind when you think about integrating into sort of technica music and um, soundscape backgrounds with live music overtones? Sounds. Soundscapes, uh-huh, like you okay. know, electronical soundscapes mm, played. Okay. Are there instruments that? you think of sort of naturally applying to that? Uh, I, I fail. I'm sorry. I'm theremin. Theremin. I was, I'm sorry. I was paying attention to the microphone, and I, yeah. uh, my, my, my new microphone smells really good, so it's really distracting. <laughs> Still got that new microphone <laughs> it smell. Does. It smells so good. It smells like a new tire and a new action figure. I'm sure those are all disinfectant chemicals that they put on there when it, it left the factory. the right thing in my brain to make me happy. <laughs> Things that there, I'm sure there was a warning mm. that you ripped off very early and said, do not smell. Use microphone in well-ventilated have my asbestos sandwich. I'm going to smell my microphone, I'm sorry. You're saying, you're talking about in 
I, I'm a I'm a dummy. Just give me the. I question. was trying to ask. Yes. What musical instruments yes. come to mind when you think of electronica music and playing a live instrument along with a recorded uh, electronic oh. soundscape? What instruments seem like the natural fit? Sitars. Sitars. Um, glass harps. Glass harps. Handbells. Uh, uh, the Ben Franklin thing. The that glass was the harmonica, which is oh. also called the yeah. glass harp. Okay, yeah. Beecha. Accordions. Banjos. MIDI controllers. Okay. <laughs> what about the ones that, you know, you would think, you know, maybe classical instruments or something that just seem out of place with the idea of mixing them with the electronica. That's hard for me because I used to, I'm an orchestra nerd, so I was very used to things like electric violins and stuff. Sure. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, hmm, that's hard for me. Perhaps uh, an electric, uh, what's the word? The harp. Bang, 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 bang. Jaw harp? Jaw, Jaw harp. harp. <laughs> yes. Anything that doesn't seem like? I don't know. I mean, I guess I assume that you could make anything electric and that would well it's blend not necessarily making electric. the instrument electric like right. I, uh, one of my fun listening bands has an electric uh bagpipe which i think is a great oh yeah. i forgot about that you showed a off video kilter of yeah has yeah, an yeah. electric bagpipe and it does it's, it's not like electric the same way an electric guitar is mm -hmm. where it's the sound is picked up electronically rather than acoustically mm -hmm. yeah it, I think, has an electric bellow, basically, that keeps it inflated all the time uh -huh. so that they can right. go very quickly through reels and stuff, and it just constantly plays rather than having to be inflated. Who hmm. was that band that you saw in London that had the electric, was it, I don't know if it was a cello or a upright bass, that they could jump with because it was harnessed to them? That was, an elect that was actually a classic bass uh, cello that she had, but it was exactly on a harness. They were called uh, Babito. Um, and we found them as a street performer in Covent Gardens. Um, and I see, saw, I was looking down through Covent Gardens and I saw this group of string instrumentalists, uh, stretching, like <laughs> acrobatically stretching, getting ready for something. But they all had like uh, two of them had violins and one had a cello that was hot pink. And she was, she was strapping it onto her body and they all hit the first note together as they leapt into the air and did a split in the air as they drew the bow across the instruments wow, for the first time. And then cool. they then proceeded to perform a 20-minute classical orchestra or quartet set uh, while doing acrobatics. Mm -hmm. Like, they were running up banisters and leaping over each other, and uh, they were quite interesting they wanted to be the ready to be the first quartet to go to the space station to <laughs> perform at the like and they were going to jump there yeah. themselves yeah <laughs> they wanted to be ready um but i actually ran into a group recently that had one that i hadn't considered as an electronica style instrument and they both played classical orchestral flutes along with electronic soundscapes and so they created these soundscape environments that they then played and mixed live underneath their flute duet, and they are called Flutronics. <laughs> and I just found it sort of a, an interesting element of exactly what you were saying, Adam, in that you can do it with any instrument yeah. if you sort of explore that route. And they have, and they've made this little band that they've got some national attention because they are from New York and they were playing here in Atlanta. 
Um, and it was it was a very interesting experience. Um, I was actually mixing the sound for them, and I discovered that um, it's hard to tell when you're mixing a technical electronica band live whether it's feedback or part of the soundscape. <laughs> or music. Music. <laughs> Uh, but they were a lot of fun. They had this great electronic mix, and it was just sort of a nice uh, sense of, of of exploration and and that you aren't held in anymore by what instruments can play what music. Wow, um, you're talking about soundscapes. Reminds me of uh, <laughs> of the voice and speech teacher we had at Academy uh, at the Theater Academy um. some years ago. And uh, the joke, whenever we go around the table talking about our curriculum, yeah. is uh, he had this activity called sound environments. The yeah. joke was when he couldn't ever, he couldn't think of anything. Say, what are you doing today? He'd go, sound, sound environments. environments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It also made me think of how uh, sometimes, uh, depending on the size of the venue, uh, and I find it easier to accept in smaller venues, I have a hard time watching a play that has a highly uh, recorded back uh, sound soundscape or soundtrack or mm -hmm. whatever that's all recorded, and the performers aren't mic'd. Oh, in okay. a large house, especially, yeah. it bothers me because I, I I feel like I should be able to close my eyes and the radio play, if you will, of the show mm -hmm. would still work. Would still work and would sound like it's all part of the same universe. Mm -hmm. And it's doubly frustrating to me when some people are mic'd and some people are live, and I'm sort of like. I feel like you know you have to make a, a choice because if I am a blind individual, you know they're attending that performance. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to feel disjointed to me, mm -hmm. and um, so I feel like it's it's kind of almost all or nothing in a way. It's it's more forgivable in smaller spaces where, in, in my opinion anyway, where the uh, the recorded sound and the live sound aren't so so different in their levels. Because you can but be a little gentler with the recorded sound because it's a smaller yeah, space. But mm -hmm. then you lose some of the detail that's in the recorded sound. And I feel like that you lose... I'm all about the actor's voice as instrument, as mm -hmm. physical instrument. There's something very powerful about that. When you put an actor in a situation where, to tell the story, you're choosing to use a lot of recorded sounds that are, number one, impossible to compete against, and number yeah. two, create a certain kind of soundscape that is rich in... in aural detail, then the performer should be given the chance to use the more subtle notes they have in their vocal instrument through a microphone, you know, um, because you can sound a certain way in a microphone that is just as viable, in my opinion, a live performance for characters than you can when you are trying to use your body to get it all the way out to the back row. And I know for some actors it's a point of pride, like I want to be able to project and and whatever, and but on the other hand, I'm like, well, I totally get it. I, I, you know, but look at it from the other side and say, what, what are the, some of the little grace notes you can get in your performance that you can't, that the microphone would afford mm -hmm. you? I think it's just, you know, I think it's fair to say that every production, you just have to figure out what that balance is. You know, yeah. what there best is, tells and that what story can they afford yeah. to do in what, yeah. of economics. You know, because that's what I've seen a lot of, you know, high school productions over the years of musicals. And, you know, you have music playing while actors are singing or sometimes talking and being underscored. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes the choice is, all right, we've got four microphones. We'll just put them on the four main actors. And then you've got a whole chorus of people that have little one-liners during the songs. And 
you just you see, see their the, mouths move. You see their really mouth move <laughs> while the song plays. Right. Yeah. But they can only afford four mics. Four mics, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that in a film, you know, you really come to expect and are used to hearing a constant musical background. Yeah. And that in theater, it it almost can't work <laughs> with a constant musical background. Well, but uh, mm, I don't know. I, I disagree. Like, uh, maybe it's because, you know, in my brain, I live more in cartoons and movies and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but shows that I'm involved in, I, I think. I've had a couple shows that I wasn't directly creatively involved in when I was just an actor where I think it I think it really can work, but there's gotta be it doesn't work without that full support and decision of, okay, we're miking or either we're miking everyone or we're not, without those choices being made. When you try to when you have a director that tries to create a whole soundscape and then every the rest of the production is just well the way the shows have always been done. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, without that conversation of this is what we're trying to do and those choices don't get made. And mm-hmm. for me, it, I, it's incredibly effective. I I, I don't know. Like, um, have you seen uh, have you seen Moneyball? Uh, we no, probably talked yet. about this. I, I ask that <laughs> question to everyone like every other day. I'm pretty sure at some point for these <laughs> podcasts to go further, you're going to have to <laughs> strap me to a chair and make me watch Moneyball. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Part of what I love so much about it um, is the sound. The sound design is so good. I mean, they tell the they really, they really tell the story with the sound, and you could you could close your eyes and just you know and just listen to the movie. And, and again, for me, that's that's a selling point of it, does anything work? It's like well, that. that's fine. But what I'm saying is, have you seen a it play? It is not fine, sir. <laughs> have you seen a play, a live theatrical event? where they successfully had a constant background track. I did. Did you? CSU, yeah, it's called Pavilion. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought of that. I was, the more and more we were talking about it, I was, yeah. I was holding back, to be honest, from saying tweeted, Go Dog Go, and James and Giant Peach back in Orlando. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because those were, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... And, and I, they, they was Pavilion Ever scored the whole time? Well, it was in the sense that, uh, to tell people that are listening, uh, this was a show that all three of us were involved in back in college called Pavilion. It's a three-person show, and it takes place at a high school reunion. Um, uh, most of the action takes place out on this little dock pavilion that's outside of the sort of main event center, and it follows these two characters, and then there's sort of like a... Um, uh, omnipotent, omniscient narrator uh, for the story that also plays a lot of the other characters uh, that we meet at the reunion. Um, And it it did have an underscore because one thing that Susan, our director, was uh, insistent on was that the world of the uh, reunion, even though we're hearing these conversations Mm -hmm. out on the dock removed from the main party, we still need to be aware that it's still going. And so that I... Aaron and I were sound designers. Jeff was one of the actors in the show. And uh, we had the music going the whole time. Did we? I'd we did. forgotten that. Because that was my challenge was I had to find like almost oh, two yeah. hours worth of, uh, we decided the reunion, uh, the, the graduating year was like 1983 or 84. And so that was sort and of the year. music from those. Yeah. And, and find stuff within that four year, five year span. And so um, 
So I'm arguing against a constant sound uh-huh. background on a show I designed. Yes. <laughs> yes. But but remember, here's how we split it up, though. That that may be why you don't remember is, again, I was just starting to learn a lot of this uh, software, and yeah. you had some experience in it, um, I think, yeah. And uh, at least I, I think you did. I trusted just you. Just enough to <laughs> say, do this, kid. But But a lot of the narrations were removed from the universe and world of that play, um, and and we created these soundscapes that kind of underscored Jeff as the the narrator. I the opening and closing I the speeches. Opening, yeah, with all the yeah, the but there were there were also some small or... yeah some small yeah where you create the world and sure, we hear sure. this you know bubbling sound and the waves crashing and all of these things and then that overlapping that thing. Brilliant. But then yeah. we had that additional challenge too of there was a live component in that. Mm-hmm. There was one well. song that they played live with a live hot mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, but again, you were primarily in charge of the environments that supported Jeff's stuff. Mm-hmm. And my biggest task while still assisting you was to compile this song list. Oh. Yeah. Well, is there this you the go. One yeah. with the Go story. The Go? It's, oh, yeah. This was. <laughs> this can was, we tell the training? <laughs> yes. You should tell. Well, I don't know. It, well, Yes, I want this story to be known. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm teaching Adam Sorry, how to Adam, use software called SFX, and it's very similar to QLab, if you know that. It's, it was basically sound control software, and it was sort of early in when people were starting to do sound control software. And um, I was explaining how to run the show from it uh, to Adam, and I pointed to the screen, and I indicated an area that was this large button that said, Go. And I said, this is the go button. When you want to run a queue, you hit go. And he reaches up, pushes the screen, <laughs> and touches the go button. Or at least touches the picture of the go the button. Go button. <laughs> and if he had done that today, it would probably yeah. have worked. He was just ahead of his time. I was time. ahead of my time. That's I've always all. been a trailblazer. Technology is finally catching up to you. That's really been the problem, is Adam yeah. couldn't understand the primitiveness of computers. It's true. I then picked up the... Uh, Mouse and said, "Hello, hello, computer." <laughs> that didn't work either. Didn't work. <laughs> Give me another that fifteen, our, twenty that years. First, that's our first. For this yeah, time, it is. It? You're wow. welcome. <laughs> wow, that took us a while to get to. Well, we wanted them to wait for it. Yeah, right. We've been putting it right at the beginning for the last yeah. couple, and so we got to make them wait for it. That's right. The stress is over. You've had your Star Trek reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can find an earlier one in the podcast, email us. Let us know. We will. <laughs> Cite you on air next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of next time, I think we are running out of time for this yeah. week. Yeah. Anybody so. have any? Sad. Thank you, sad. Oh, I'm one. so glad. We... Oh, I didn't even talk about that thing that I'll talk about next time. Well, you got to have fodder for next week. Got an angry blogger. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> They're all angry. <laughs> do, you, do you do you blog, Jeff? Uh, Is this a confessional? Uh, no. Nothing's going to change the world like I, angry bloggers. I want to blog so bad, but like yeah. I, I have a bunch of anecdotes that I would like to write about. But but because of the because of the community, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's things that I want to write about. That I, I can't. That I'm is ex- busted. That is exactly why I've had a couple of people <laughs> say that they would read something if I wrote it, just from some of the sure. pieces I've done. Sure. It, no yeah. shame, and yeah. others, and I have the same sort of hesitation. I think I can get away. I mean, I have a bunch of weird stuff that happens at the coffee shop that are just weird observations. I spend so much time there yeah. writing and stuff, and strange. Still, like I would, 
I want to figure out how to turn my uh, summers down uh, in shows and entertainment down at Disney World into like my Santa Land Diaries to make Ooh, my money off for the yeah. rest of my life. Yeah. But I have to figure out a way to write it in such a way that I won't get my ass sued. Because uh, <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure... Create a fictional... Yeah, it's going to yeah. have to be like a fictional theme park equivalent. Oh, yeah, that you can't talk about the yeah. things that... I can't, you know, I, I signed Back things. Back in days. Swore blood oaths. Ooh. <laughs> Sacrificed a child Vulcan? to the small world ride. A child? Not There's a child inside of all of us. Not anymore. <laughs> clawing and screaming. <laughs> screaming to get out. <laughs> Let me out or kill me. One, <laughs> one or the other. other. <laughs> I can't be stuck with uh, this guy anymore. <laughs> Oh, golly. Uh, okay, well, Tentacular after this. All right. Number 10 is coming. Will you be there or will you be square? Oh, they'll be here. <laughs> the question is, will we still be here? Well. But, hey, yeah, making it to 10 episodes is not a bad kickoff to I this know. whole it's a nice project. little milestone. You can hear the studio firing all of us. Yeah, we'll be replaced. Remember when you said, 11. number one, that this is just the pilot and we'll yes. recast? <laughs> <laughs> number hmm. 10, it'll be. Right knows? in. Tell Polar Studios you want us to stay in the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> what? I'm oh. trying to think. Well, now I think I'm just. Uh, who's going to no play longer become, Yeah, who's going to play me in the next <laughs> podcast? My vote is for Sam Rockwell. Ooh. Oh, yeah. We should just get like uh, eight year olds. <laughs> you just, talk about just talk about Star Trek and video games. You're fine. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting idea for a podcast. You know, like our our, our eight year our eight year old selves talking <laughs> right. about what we like thought the future was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Jeff already killed his eight year old self. <laughs> Did yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever. He can be resurrected. He'll get better. No one's per the video comics. game. Well, no body, no death. Yeah. That's right. No body, no death. That's right. <laughs> Well, we hate to say game over to this one, but uh, it's okay because we'll uh, respawn next week. That's nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thank you very much. Did you just make that up? I did. Wow. Just now. Yeah. I'm not. All right. Sincere. We should sign off. Yeah. I, I totally you know what I love? mean it. Long, languishing goodbyes. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my They're favorite. Best. I'm Aaron, and I know things about Disney. I'm Jeff, and I'm languishing in this goodbye. I'm Adam, and uh, the keyboard, how quaint. <laughs> <laughs> With an Irish oh, voice. The keyboard, how quaint. Told you not to, put, not to put a leprechaun in charge of engineering. <laughs>